0: welcome to another episode of tackling a new kingdom i'm your host tank johnson and today we have a special show a man that i have been trying to track down for many moons he's the host of the full ride show on sears xm radio and former head coach at a few places but only one that i really care about (laughs) my man rick news how you rick newheiser how you doing rick i am wonderful tank So proud of you. So
1: proud of uh, all that you've become. Uh, What doesn't seem like uh, that long ago when I came to both of our uh, high school alma mater, McClintock High, to have you come and join me at the University of Washington. And thankfully you did. And uh, look at all the great things that uh, rose from that uh, experience there on
0: Montlake. Man, what, uh, what a journey. Uh, What an experience, and uh, I'm just so happy to be able to track you down for this show. Um, On this show, we tackle something current, we tackle something real, and then we tackle something controversial. And today, in tackling something current, I want to discuss the state of the pack. Uh, You being a lifelong Pac-10, Pac-12er, playing and coaching at UCLA, coaching at Washington, I know this could be a pretty long list of what's going on, but in your and just in your observation, what's the state of the pack right now?
1: Well, it's on life support, in my estimation, mm. uh, and I don't mean to be melodramatic, but the loss of the two LA schools mm. is a signal that they didn't believe the future was bright enough or healthy enough that it was prudent to wait to see what the next television deal brought. They said a bird in the hand is worth two in a bush and basically scampered to the far-off lands of the Big Ten because yeah. they knew from a fiscal res- uh, fiscal responsibility standpoint, that was the prudent thing to do. Which leaves now 10 universities still in the Pac-12 hard to keep these numbers straight. (laughs) We all do with the math. (laughs) It leaves 10 universities in and poor George Kleofkoff. And I say poor because he's got this job that's trying to keep this all, you know, moving down the tracks. Right. These schools now have to make the decision, Tank, whether or not they're going to stay in the Pac-12, whether they're going to look for the next best deal for themselves. Mm. Uh, and how to go about that. And one of the things Klyovkov has to try to talk them into is signing over their television rights, at least for the duration of whatever television contract he's going to try to create, which is probably going to be less than half of what UCLA and USC are going to make annually as members of the Big Ten. Right. So if that be the case... Is it prudent for Oregon, prudent for Washington, your alma mater, prudent for Cal or Stanford to say, oh, yeah, I'm going to sign over my rights and lose all chance I have of maybe going with UCLA and USC to the Big Ten and creating a Pacific side of that? Is it prudent for Utah, Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State to say, well, yeah, I'm going to go with the Pac-12 when maybe there's a better deal if I join the Big Twelve, or even still put my hand up. Hey, Big Ten, take us because Kevin Warren, the commissioner there, has said we are going to be perpetually looking for expansion partners. Uh-huh. I mean, it's a very, very, very thin tightrope that Kevin, uh, that George Clayoffka finds himself on, uh, trying to negotiate this next deal, and for how much? So. I just think, as we know it, you and I know it, and we loved watching it. It's in uh, it's in a precarious state right now,
0: man. Uh, you know it, that that obviously hurts my heart. It's funny when I used to uh, thumb through the like Pac-12 media guides, and I would see like Pac-8 and Pac-6, and I would be like, "When was that?" And now <laughs> that's my era. The Pac-10 is no more. So now, when someone's thumbing through a book and see Pack 10 it'll be a, a long long time ago. Wait a
1: minute, grand granddad, you mean you were part of the Pack 10? When was that?
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. That's how I feel already. So, but from a from a standpoint of the athletes, right? Do you think it's a generational thing that these kids have only seen like the Clemsons, the Alabama, etc. doing well and, they, and they're not as hip to the the rich tradition of like, let's say like a Washington. Um, has that got them going to those schools or has something about the pack turned them off?
1: Well, I think you only have to look back as far as the college football playoff. The college football playoff started in 2014. And when the the powers that be decided we were only going to have four teams. And Tank, I, I, I liken this to, Uh, you and I going to our parents when we were teenagers and saying, hey, can I go away with my buddies for the weekend? And they'd say, well, okay, when are you going to be back? And then to try to ask them for the car too. Mm. You you, you know, the more you ask for the more you're more likely to get a no. Yeah. And so when we went (laughs) to the college football playoff and the the football people went to the university presidents and said – We want a playoff. They couldn't go past four, even though we all know we're going to end up past four. Right. But when they went with four, they basically, more than telling four teams, you were going to have a chance. You were basically telling a ton of teams you were locked out. Uh And when you also said that you were not guaranteeing conference champions would all be in those four positions, you were basically acceding that opportunity to the more powerful brands at the time, which were the SEC brands who were kind of dominating the end of the BCS era. Uh, Matter of fact, they had seven straight wins until Florida State beat Auburn in 2013. So you're sitting there looking at a world that says, okay, we know at least one power five champion isn't getting in. It was now going to be a situation where oh my goodness, where are these players going? They're all gravitating towards wanting to be in the college football playoff. Well, Mm -hmm. if you wanted to do that, Alabama, Clemson were your two places. Very true. And then Georgia and LSU also had chances. As we look back on the college football playoff and we're eight years in, I think I'm right when I say this, only six teams have won a game. Right. Only six have won. And we've been in eight. Uh, tournaments with four teams. That's thirty-two spots. Only six have won a game. <laughs> so,
0: so the the
1: the players. I mean, Alabama's got a quarterback from California, yep. Bryce Young. Mm-hmm. C.J. Stroud at Ohio State is from California. He's from Rancho Cucamonga. Uh, Spencer Rattler, who is was the hot, you know, bright light quarterback at Oklahoma. He's from Arizona. Yep. Uh, you, you you keep going. DJ Ungalale at uh, Clemson is from Los Angeles. I mean, they're wow. all leaving to go to places where they can be in the college football playoff because the Pac-12 had been twice. Oregon in year one and Washington in year three. Five straight years, the Pac-12 has been outside looking in when it comes to the college football playoff, which is why expansion for college football is so absolutely necessary right. to redistribute the talent again so that we have all
0: bites at the apple. Oh, man. That's so true. So true that you made it very clear. Uh, you were You were early. You were very early in throwing your hands up. Uh, as it pertained to the Pac-12 network, almost like you could see what was coming down the pipeline. Uh, what what could make a lifelong Pac guy leave for the greener pastures of covering the SEC? You you, you kind of stick out over there, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen. Uh, I
1: forever is grateful for all those folks at the PAC 12 network who gave me a chance to be a broadcaster. It came at a time when I was, you know, lo- I lost my job at UCLA, uh, got fired. We didn't win enough games. That's part of the business. Uh, but I had kids that were, you know, at those very impressionable ages in high school that I didn't want to have to move again. Mm-hmm. It's easier when they're little, but when they're got their high school pals, I wanted to stay put. And Larry Scott offered me a chance To, uh, you know, stay in Los Angeles, fly up to San Francisco and do the weekend shows and also learn the the world of broadcasting while I decided whether or not I wanted to continue in coaching. And it was the right move at the right time. And I met all sorts of great people and loved it. The problem for the Pac-12 Network, and it's no secret, was distribution. We didn't have nearly enough television sets that could get what we were giving. Mm. And because we didn't get enough television sets, we didn't get enough advertisers. And because of that, all the Pac-12 schools are sitting there. Wait a minute. I thought we were, this was going to be, you know, eight to $10 million spinoff of revenue for us. And they're all getting, you know, less than a million bucks a year. Wow. It was not the beautiful bonanza that Larry predicted for it, primarily because we didn't get direct TV. We didn't get the distribution things done. Uh, You can blame, you can you know, pass the buck, what have you. But at the end of the day, it didn't work out. So that's all having to be rethought. You put another thing on George Kleofkoff's list of things to get done in the Pac-12. That's another thing that he's got to figure out. And it's not easy given the state of things. So, uh, I don't wish that, you know, ill will on anybody, but he's got a tough job right now. But the CBS thing came about because, Obviously, somebody had seen me on there and thought I was doing a good enough job, so they offered me a chance to come and be a part of the CBS package, and I've been doing it now. I can't hardly believe it, but I've been doing it now for, uh, this will be my eighth year. Wow. And uh, that's, that's a, you know, I've, I've got great people to work with, Tank. It's, you know, like anything, it's a team. Yeah. Brian Jones and Adam Zucker are great pals, not just colleagues, but great pals, and we love doing it. And we have the show on Tuesdays where we do Inside College Football, which I think if anybody really wants to catch up on the week that was and the week that's going to be in college football, you tune into CBS Sports Network on Tuesday nights and you're going to get your fill of it. Randy Cross and Aaron Taylor are also with us on that day. And it's fantastic fun uh, to be in New York talking college football with your buddies. And that's exactly what I get to do
0: no that's amazing coach you know um obviously we are definitely happy for you but um but no thank you and, and covering something current the state of the pack uh the conference of champions uh we're just trying to figure out what's going to be uh the next fusion and uh i appreciate that and now we're gonna switch over to something real we're gonna tackle something real your time at the university of Washington came to an unceremonious end with what we later found to be wrongful termination. Uh, can you speak to your time at UW and what you remember about that time in your coaching career?
1: Well, the great thing about time, Terry, is that it uh, it heals all wounds, right? Uh, Amen. Amen. And I am fortunate that I have still a number of great friends And I'm loving you drinking from your Washington Husky there chalice. (laughs) Um, I'm I'm, I'm fortunate that I look back on my time at Washington as a great experience, rather than you know uh, focusing on the difficulty of the of the departure. Uh, What took place? Just so everybody's clear, uh, I had coached there for a number of years and made a bunch of friends. And one afternoon, driving home in a March, uh, I'm coming across the the 520 bridge. And I get a phone call from a pal of mine that, uh, who was a university of Washington alum golf buddy. And he calls me and says, Hey, uh, we're meeting over at, uh, another friend's, uh, brokerage house and they're doing a NCAA basketball pool. You should come over. A bunch of our buddies are there. So I said, I'll come have a beer with you guys. So I drove over there and listened to what they call a Calcutta which was 68 teams that were all up on a board and they were all being auctioned off and everybody was bidding on the teams. And basically then you'd own the team and how well they did in the tournament would determine how much of the pot you would get back out, okay? It was just kind of like a March Madness pool, but in a different kind of style. So this all went on, the 68 teams. I sat and watched the whole thing, offered very little because I didn't know much about college basketball. I was too busy recruiting (laughs) and doing things that involved college football. Sure. At the end of the evening, my buddy who had invited me said, hey, do you want to be on our team? They had purchased, I don't know, three or four or five teams. Do you want to be on our team? Which means I think there were three of them. So instead of 33% of the pot, they would each pay 25% and I would have 25% of the pot. Okay. And I said, sure. Never thinking in a million years that I was doing anything wrong. And we ended up winning. <laughs> we ended up winning the pot. So oh, the next geez. year, like I was said, Hey, this thing's going to happen again. Do you want to be in it again? And I felt, and I swear to you that this is true. I felt like I had won the, an opening hand of a poker game. Uh-huh. You know, I, like, I felt like you can't leave the table after you win the opening hand. Right. I said, yeah, I'll come. I'll come again. Right. And so I came again, did the same thing, watched everybody bid. I participated on my same team. And somehow, some way, we won again. It was the year. It was the year <laughs> yeah. that uh, Syracuse won. Carmelo Anthony. I'll never um, forget. Carmelo Anthony was my favorite player because he led us to the victory. Yeah. Uh, so that being said, somebody along the way, Tank, was emailing the NCA that I was gambling on college sports. They did it on a on a website uh, email address. Peter, 70 at yahoo.com. And the reason I remember that is because I tried to find out who the heck that was. Yeah. It was like a, it was like a fictitious moniker, Peter, Wright 70 at yahoo.com. They were emailing the NCA all along as to what was going on. And now the NCA came in for this big sting operation thinking oh. I'm like this, you know, wanton gambler and an evil person. Right. We had a meeting with the NCA to talk about recruiting because they were arguing that my taking recruits across, you remember when I did this with you, I took you from school to my house on a boat, mm-hmm. right? Yep. They wanted that to be entertainment rather than transportation. So I would have had to take your tra- your entertainment dollars instead of you being able to go out with the guys that night. I would have had to take your money away, but I wanted you to see the lake and it was faster because in those days yeah. we had a lot of traffic on the 520 because there was con- construction going on and the Seahawks were playing in Husky Stadium so we had traffic for the game so I didn't have to worry about that so anyway I was arguing it was transportation via that it was de- so the NCA comes we have all of our data all of our reasons as to why we're doing it and next thing they know they spring this this hey you were in this basketball pool and I'm like And they asked all these questions. And I said, wait a minute, what are you talking about here? I said, I, I, this, this, this is okay. And I had something in my head and all this was tape recorded tank. All this was tape recorded. When I went back to show them that I was trying to show, say exactly, I remembered something that said I could be in a pool. Mm -hmm. They said that tape malfunctioned. It was not available. It's the only side of a cassette that didn't produce that's that malfunction. Wow. When I asked for an wow. attorney, when I asked for all this stuff, they said it malfunctioned. So, anyway, that being said, I Jeez. end up fighting for my life with this. Disf- I get fired less than 24 hours later. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm out. I have to, and I basically had to sue not only the university, but the NCAA for, as you say, wrongful termination. Yeah. And uh, it went, it was a couple years of my life it was hard it was i was a pariah <laughs> you know i was the the bad guy in campus i had ruined the university in the minds of many and i understand it was certainly a distraction but it was my professional career that i was fighting for sure. and i later ma- produced documents that showed i the, the university of washington said i could be in a basketball pool with my friends uh-huh. there was a document saying so Wow! So now the university had to change their reason for termination as to the fact that I misled the NCAA. And uh-huh. that's why that tape was so critical. But it malfunctioned, according to them, quote, according. unquote.
0: Right.
1: But at the end of the day, it turned out that the NCAA had broken their own rules to try to come and and, and uh, approach me in the way that they did. They had to notify me of the reason of the, uh, for their appearance and the allegations that were being put forth against me. And it ended up, I settled with them rather than go through the you know arduous task of going through appeals and all that stuff. I just wanted it to be over. I settled, I moved on, but it was a very painful time in my life. But you learn all kinds of lessons and mo- the biggest lesson you learn. And, and I tell everybody, if you can be out of litigation, don't get in it. If you, if you can avoid it, Don't do it because it's not worth and bitterness is really uh, a poison. It is. Bitterness is a poison. We all have things that we're bitter about or upset about that happen in our lives. But if you let them consume you, they only hurt you, not the person you're or the entity you're bitter towards. Right. You have to move on. Uh,
0: and,
1: and you also in these experiences, find out who your real friends are. It's like, who can you call at midnight when you're broke down on the side of the road? Who's going to get up out of bed and come help you? Sure. Those are your real friends. You, these experiences make that possible. So there were a lot of uh, you know, little blessings that came from a very difficult time. One of them, I got to hang out with my youngest son, Joe, a lot. Uh, and you know, he all of a sudden got a, the golf bug because I had more free time. And now he's trying to earn a living as a golfer. Uh, that was fun. So uh, you always use everything that happens to you to your benefit. And I think that, uh, I can honestly say that I have, even though it was very, very painful and it probably cost me my coaching career in terms of longevity of a coaching career. But, uh, maybe that wasn't what I was meant to do for the rest of my life. So we'll wait and see how this uh, next chapters turn out.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, and, and as a as a member of that team as a as a student athlete in that in that era, um, that situation changed the trajectory of a lot of players and coaches. Um, if if the opportunity ever presented itself, um you could get that group of men together and you could talk to them. Um, is there anything that you would you would say to those guys? Cause I know you and I spoke about um you know, someday celebrating that Rose bowl team. Yeah. You no, know, I know that's important to you. Yeah.
1: Well, I hope the university will at least invite the team back to celebrate that deal, whether I'm invited back or not. Uh, cause we accomplished something, uh, that's hard to accomplish. As a matter of fact, it's the last time anybody at the university, had, you know, won the Rose bowl. Sure. And the the kids on that team and and I say kids there were a bunch of freshmen that lined up on that kickoff team that day mm. uh they they uh they played their tails off and if tank if you, you're asking if I could say something to them Now, the mm. first thing i would tell them is i love them All because right. i truly did love what i did uh in coaching i loved every bit of it you know, whether it was sitting in study hall with you, forcing you to sit there and read read your book and you're sitting there going, coach, are you going to stay here the whole time? I said, if need be, if you're going to force me to, I'm going to because I'm not letting you down. I'm not letting you down. And the bottom line is that's what it's all about. We live in a world in coaching that is instant gratification based. Sure. You have a scoreboard that tells you whether you won or you lost. Right. Yep. And when you lose, you gotta fix it, you gotta figure it out fast, and you gotta come back. Right. And and I've learned that as every coach has to learn that. But what really is the the gold bullion of coaching is the delayed gratification. Yeah. The, to see guys like yourself who gave you trials and tribulations while you tried to, you know be ornery in school and say, I didn't need this. I didn't need class and so forth. But when you get you to see the bigger picture mm-hmm. and that you take advantage of the big picture and have life after football, that's the delayed gratification. When you see you and your teammates and all the kids that have grown to, to be husbands and fathers and great, you know, pillars in the community, that's the ultimate. Uh, and, yeah. You don't necessarily cash as many checks on that feeling, but I promise you it's more rewarding.
0: Yeah. um, I can definitely see how that's true because, um, you know, watching all of us kind of grow up, man, it's it's hard to believe a lot of us are husbands and (laughs) fathers. So um, uh, one of the biggest gripes uh, surrounding the last few coaching staffs up at UW in particular um, is passing up on true talent in their backyard. you were really on to something from a recruiting standpoint uh when you went to Montana, got guys like Greg Carruthers, uh, Florida, Rich Alexis, John Anderson, Charles Frederick, um, all while getting all the guys in your backyard um wh- did did you have a specific approach to recruiting in state? Or was it just about getting the best guys possible back then? It's it's a balance, but one of the
1: things you you want to do when because you're you're pleasing a fan base, you know, you're basically you'd say you're pleasing your bosses. Your bosses are the administration, but the administration hears all too often, especially via social media and sports radio and all this stuff what's going on within the fan base. The fan base wants to keep the local kids at home. So when Reggie Williams, the star wide receiver from Lakes High School, is out there, it's really important that Reggie look long and hard at Washington. Danny Diggs, Paul Arnold, for sure. Absolutely. Those kids become cornerstones because that's who the locals want to see if you can get. So you have to build rapport and relationships with those kids early on, as well as with their circle of influence. The circle of influence includes obviously family, but it includes high school coaches, friends, uh, those people who are going to help the youngster make the decision. And you have to spend the amount of time necessary to do that. And coaches, it's like hunting, right? Mm -hmm. You're either going to be a great tracker or you're going to be a weekend warrior and go with somebody who's going to teach you how to do it. Hunting isn't, I, I don't like, I'm, I'm not a big hunter. I shot a gun maybe once in my life. And that was at a uh, uh, Target skeet shooting deal. And my wife whipped my tail <laughs> at it, which told me two things. Number one, don't mess with her. And number two, I'm not going to be much with guns. But, but this kind of hunting tank I could do which is why I chased you down at McClintock High School, found you on the volleyball team, went to your house, made sure you were coming. You and Marquise Cooper getting on that same plane. I, I was going to make sure my Arizona guys had a great experience when you got up to the Pacific Northwest. But I love recruiting. And yeah. it wasn't just so that I could have you on the team, it so you could have the experience that I had as a collegiate player that I want for everybody that gets to play the great game of college football.
0: Man. Uh, I, I know to a man, those guys miss you, um, really wished that turned out different, but I think we're all very happy of the success that we've all had. And I do think that, uh, getting together with that group of guys, I think that's going to happen someday soon.
1: I hope so. I got my fingers crossed and Jen Cohen, who was, uh, you know, one of the assistants on the administration uh, staff back then. Now it's got the range. She's the athletic director at Washington. Uh, I think she's doing a great job. I know uh, this last year was difficult having to let go of Jimmy Lake uh, and given he only had the one year, but hopefully Kalen DeBoer can uh, be the guy that uh, Washington fans have been looking for to kind of stabilize the deal since uh, Chris Peterson stepped away and get Washington back into the uh the conversation, so to speak, nationally, because they deserve to be. There's no better f- football fan than that Seattle football fan, and I, uh-huh. I I remember games like when Miami came to town, Ooh. and and that that they changed the they changed the outcome. Literally, you talk about the twelfth man. I know they talk about it at the Seahawks, but we had the twelfth and thirteenth man that
0: day at Husky Stadium. Man, it it was rocking. Um, yeah, I, I you know those times uh were some of the best times of my life. And you know, the people that I met, like you said, that atmosphere in Husky Stadium was nothing like it. And uh yeah, Jen definitely has a tough job. So um all right we're gonna we're gonna end on something not end but we're gonna transition to something controversial. Recently young Joe Newheiser just won the Arizona amateur championship as a standout golfer as you see the tug of war between the pga and the live why don't we right here on tackling a new kingdom let's come up with a solution that will appease everybody how are we going to fix this rick it's a great question
1: um and i understand both sides of the argument you know the pga has been a longstanding entity the tour has a way of doing things people have come and gone and you know Survived the way it works. And we've cr- created our greats, the Nicholases, the Palmers, the Trevinos, uh, and on down now to Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. And, and, and yet, as this goes on, why shouldn't there be a competing entity that attracts professional golf? Why, why do we believe that there shouldn't be competition? Everything in life has created competition. We have an antitrust law In our country that tries to create to keep from having monopolies well under that under those auspices why can we have any difficulty with the liv which basically is the roman numeral for 54 uh and 54 is how many holes they're going to play right so that's that's how the, the name got there but the problem is and and the rhetoric around this is it's the saudi arabian uh, government that is the financial backing behind it. And right. we all know that we've had some, some misdeeds by the Saudi government that have created a great uh, uh, controversy. controversy for whether or not you should be in a business enterprise with the sure. Saudis. Sure. I will tell you this, that the Fortune 500 companies all have to wrestle with this conver- the same dilemma and somehow some way they're all in business with the saudis. So yeah. if they can be in business with the saudis, why can't Dustin Johnson, Phil Mickelson, and every other player that's being offered, you know, an exorbitant price tag just to put his name in the fund and then obviously riches to based on their performance, why wouldn't you do that? All right. Uh, now, you would love to have your cake and eat it too which means you would love to be able to still play on the PGA um, tour when you choose to. Right. Uh, and But I understand the PGA tour is saying, wait a minute, we're an exclusive deal. You can't have your cake and eat it too. And so there is our controversy. Yeah. I, I'm fine with them excluding except for these, what we call majors, the, you know, the U S open, the British open. Uh, those are, contests to see who and and by definition they're called opens if they're opens that means it's open to anybody who can play at that level bring your best game and let's see who's the best Uh those should be opens invitationals are like masters and such they're entitled to invite who they want whatever they want whatever they want that to me is a way to solve that issue but to say that opens are not open any longer because you took your ball and went someplace else to me, is anti-American, anti-competition.
0: Man, uh no, I agree. And one of the things that I was kind of, you know, my mind always goes off into the second and third, you know, generation of something. I was wondering like, how will this ultimately affect the Corn Fairy tour? And what if the what if the L I V starts plucking guys from the Corn Fairy, like, say, Joe Newheiser, what would you <laughs> would you be in favor of something like that?
1: <laughs> Listen, we uh as we speak today, uh, I am on my way to Nebraska, where Joe will begin the quest to join the Corn Ferry Tour. He's going to stage one of the uh, tour let's, school. Let's go. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, one step at a time, Tank. One step <laughs> at a time. But, I'm a uh, fan.
0: I can be a fanatic about him. And golf, but I'm a fanatic. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I
1: can't wait to tee it up with you. Uh, maybe we can uh, get that done uh, this winter when I get back from New York. But listen, you just hope that there are places for those who want to, to take this up as a profession. You just hope that there are places to play yeah. and, you know, dreams
0: to chase. That's what I think we hope for all of our children. All right. Get you out of here on this rapid fire. First thing that comes to your mind. When you hear that 2001 Rose Bowl team, what's the first thing that comes to your mind?
1: Thirty-four uh, twenty-four, Washington and Curtis Williams, and Curtis Williams being up in the uh, press box and saying, re- lifting that trophy and saying, "This is for you, pal." Uh,
0: the late great Marquise Cooper. uh
1: what a what a great smile! Him blocking the punt uh, at Arizona State in front of his his family, uh, Gilbert High School product. And think of his mom and dad and think of how difficult that day must be. But I hope they're comforted knowing how many people love Marquise
0: Cooper. Well, Coach, uh, you've came, you've saw, and you've tackled. And thank you so much for being a guest on Tackling a New Kingdom. Who's better than you, Tank? Way to go, kid. Thanks, Coach.